we are starting a new series for this summer. Uh, it's going to be a study of the, of the life of David. Uh, we just finished up Philippians chapter 1 this spring. We're going to get back to Philippians in the fall. But a few years ago, if you've attended here, I, I, I've got just this growing issue in my heart. Not so much for Desert Springs. So we still have lots of Bible studies and, and those type of things here. Uh, but it's really more for our culture, church culture here in America, that we're losing, we're losing the beauty, the richness, the truths that are found in the Old Testament stories. And, and there's so much truth that God packs into these. And so uh, last couple of summers, we just have taken and done some things in the Old Testament. And that's what I want to do. So if you got your Bibles, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to look at the life of David. Now to give you a little background uh, of all that's happened, God p chooses a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham, through him and his descendants, God has this people, the children of Israel. He takes them to Egypt for a little over 400 years where they grow into a nation. He sends Moses, he leads them now out of Egypt and into the promised land. Through a man by the name of Joshua, God's going to conquer the land and establish the nation of Israel. God's plan is, is that this nation is going to be different from all the other nations. It is going to be a theocracy. What's a theocracy? Well, basically, that they all, you know, God's the king. They don't have an earthly king. And so what will happen, A, is they will live by God's law, so they will love their neighbor as themselves. so there won't really need to be for a lot of oversight of a government because everybody will just treat each other well. Secondly, God will bless them. He will keep them at peace with their neighbors. And when they do have those major issues, they will go to the high priest who will go to God, who will get God's word. They come back. They're ready to go. You get the book of Judges as now they settle in as a nation and you find out that's not what happened. They didn't follow the Lord. They did not seek him. In fact, the kind of the thematic statement of the book of Judges is every man did what was right in his own eyes. So for 400 years now, they don't walk with the Lord. Other countries come as part of God's discipline trying to get their attention God would raise up judges the last judge his name was Samuel and what we have as you get into the book of Samuel is that Samuel's getting old in fact in first uh, Samuel 8 5 it says and they said to him behold you have grown old your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us. And I think here's the real point. Like all the nations. They said, we want, we want to be like the other nations. They don't have a king. And Samuel is heartbroken about this. And a couple verses later, God says to him, now don't be heartbroken. Listen to the voice of the people in regard to what they say. For they have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me from being king over them. And so God now is going to say, all right, you want a king? I'll give you a king. Now, it's interesting because we're walking into David, and we're going to find that David was really kind of God's choice. The fact that he was chosen, he was prepared, he was anointed for all this, but he wasn't the first king. The first king was a guy by the name of Saul. We're going to talk about him in a moment. 
But Saul uh, was the first king. He was really, in essence, the people's choice. And then God's going to raise up David. But David is a huge part. I mean, first of all, <clears throat> you have in the Old Testament the little book of Ruth. You all read Ruth, little four-chapter book. It's kind of an interesting love story about a, a man by the name of Boaz who, who marries this, this uh, widowed person by the name of Ruth. And you go, well, why? It's a great story, but why is it in the Bible? Well, the reason it's in the Bible is because Solomon to him was born Boaz, to Boaz was born Obed. I can talk, I really can. Let me get this going. To Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse was David. Ruth was the great-great-grandmother of David. David becomes the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus. And oh, by the way, you get to the book of Revelation, remember, and that book that could not be opened, and John is weeping, and God says, don't weep, for one has been found. And he says, I look, and I saw a lamb that has been slain. You know what it tells us about that lamb? He is of the root of David. David is a very prominent person in Scripture and in the lineage of, of Jesus. And so what we want to look at today three things. And the thing that I want you to walk out of here with today is that these three things that we can say about David, if you know Jesus, if you have come to faith in him, we can say about you that you have been chosen, that you have been prepared, and that you have been anointed for service. So let's look at this. The first piece is that he was chosen. Now what's interesting is, is that in essence Saul was the people's choice. We want a king. We, you know, Samuel, you're getting old. Your sons, they don't follow you, and they don't, they, you know, they don't follow in your ways, and they didn't. So give us a king. Now, if you're looking for a king, what are you looking for? You're looking for somebody who can protect you, somebody who, you know, you, you can kind of have some confidence in. And so God gives them exactly what they want, a man by the name of Saul. And what we read about Saul is this. He was a choice and handsome man. There was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than all the people. Now, I don't think what he's saying there is he had an extra long neck. I, I think the idea here is, is that he was a man of big stature. And if you want protection, you want somebody to lead, you want that physical presence. And he's good looking. And you think about how in our culture, man, our culture is just all about the looks thing, right? You got to look the part. Well, Saul looked the part. The problem is, is that internally, man, he was a really flawed guy. He was insecure. He, he, uh, he, he would never wait upon God. He just always tried to fix things himself. He always kind of kept getting in the way. He wasn't obedient. He wasn't faithful to what God said. A and it was a mess. And so in the midst of all this, while Saul is even king, God now chooses David. Now, little side note here, but I wanted to make sure that I was clear. Because I know we have some of our budding theologues here. When we talk about David being chosen, what we're talking about is being chosen for service. We're not talking about chosen for salvation. You know, in the, in the New Testament, we read how we were chosen before the foundation of the world. And that's true. 
And, and as one who, you know, we come to faith in Christ, one of the great things is, is that we find out that God chose us. Isn't that a wonderful thought? But the truth is, it wasn't based upon anything about us. We're going to see David was chosen because of something unique in his heart. But salvation is not based upon us. It's not based upon our works. It's based upon grace through faith alone. So I want to make sure you understand when we talk about David being chosen here, we're talking about for service. Because what we find here in this text, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, that God saw something in his heart. Because God sees things differently. He doesn't look at the exterior. So let's read this together. 1 Samuel 16, we'll read these first 13 verses. If you'll follow along while I read it aloud. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel says, how can I go when Saul hears of it? He will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you. And say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? He says, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, when they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abibadad and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your children? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now David was ruddy, with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. See, God doesn't look at the outside it's not god's not looking for quote unquote the beautiful people god looks at the inside and the heart in fact what's really interesting is that earlier on when saul is talking to saul or when samuel is talking to saul and telling him that he has been disobedient this is what samuel says your kingdom will not endure for the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. That's David. Now you think about that, and the question becomes, man, what does it mean to have a heart after God's heart? 
And, and you look at some of the biblical clues, and, and there are three things that come to mind. The, the first thing that, that comes to mind is this. So what God looks for in your heart and mind, when, when God is choosing for service, what are the things he's looking for? The first thing is this. He's looking for those who have completely committed themselves to following Christ. I mean, isn't that even what Jesus told us? Hey, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself take up your cross daily and follow me we were just looking in philippians chapter chapter one paul says for me to live is christ that's the heart of all of this in the book of second chronicles the prophet is talking to king asa and he says this for the eyes of the lord more move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Wow. A heart that fully follows the Lord. You know, when I, when I think about that, I can't help but think of another man in the Old Testament who we're told his heart fully followed God. His name was Caleb. Do you remember Caleb? Caleb and Joshua were two of the 12 spies that went into the land of Israel when the children of Israel come out of Egypt. And remember, all 12, or all 12 spies came out and said to the tribes, hey, listen, the land is great, the food is plentiful, but the 10 of them said the people are too great, we'll never conquer them. And it was Caleb and Joshua who said, no, man, God will give them to us. But they didn't listen to Caleb and Joshua, they listened to the 10. And because of that, they wander around the wilderness for 40 years while that whole generation died. All of them died except Caleb and Joshua. Why? My servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully. Later on in Numbers it says, except Caleb and Joshua, for they have followed the Lord fully. Folks, what kind of heart is God looking for? It's one who follows the Lord fully. It's fully committed. You know, I think it's that Romans chapter 12 where we've laid ourselves on the, on the altar. We made ourselves a living sacrifice and said, God, we're going to follow you no matter what. The second thing that you see about David is that it was a heart that was humble. A heart that was humble. It was, so he's anointed the king. Samuel anoints him. God has called you to be the king. One of the things we're going to see is that Saul is still the king. And twice, David has the ability, God puts him in a place where he could kill Saul, but he wouldn't do it. I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. If God wants me to king, be king, he'll take care of Saul. It was a humble heart. Man, I'll tell you today, one of the things I see in our culture is that so many say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you know what? I'm going to follow him my way. You know, this, God's word says, I, I don't really like that, so that part I'm not going to listen to. That's not what a humble heart does. A humble heart says, I'm going to follow you no matter what. Even the things that maybe I don't understand, or even some of the things that, that I don't really want in my life, God, I'm going to follow you. It's a humble heart. James says this, uh, oh, yeah, Psalm 78 says this about David. He chose David as servant and took him from the sheepfolds. He's a humble guy for taking care of the ewes and the suckling lambs. It's the same thing that James tells us. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, for he will exalt you. It's a humble heart, a heart that fully seeks after the Lord, a heart that is humble. The last piece is that it's a heart of integrity. You know, integrity is one of those interesting words. Someone's described it as doing the right thing when nobody's looking, when nobody will know if you're doing the right thing or not. Integrity. Again, in Psalm 78, it says that, so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. David was a man of integrity. I can remember as a high school student, I was studying David and that story of, you know, when he went and took Goliath. But there's a little verse there. It's almost an obscure verse, but I thought, man, you want to talk about integrity. Here's where it's found. You remember God, or, or not God, but David's father, Jesse, calls David in and says, I want you to go check on your brothers. They're at battle. And I want you to take this food, and I want you to take it to them and to the commanders and see how they're doing, then bring me a report back, right? And so listen, here's what it says. 1 Samuel 17, 20. So David arose early in the morning. Now stop there. David is a teenager. The parents get that piece, right? He arose early in the morning. It was what he was supposed to do. So he got up and he went with it. And then he left the flock with the keeper. Remember, as a teenager, he's the last of the brothers. So the rest of them are all off at war. He didn't just leave the sheep. He made sure somebody was watching over. Somebody was taking care of him. He took the supplies, which he actually did what his dad asked him to do. He was obedient. Talk about integrity. So a man after God's own heart. Somebody that follows him fully. Somebody that walks in humility. Somebody who walks in integrity. That's what he did. Now, here's the thing. Was David a perfect guy? <laughs> no. No, we're going we're gonna to study. We're going to see, man, he failed. I mean, obviously Bathsheba. Uh, he numbered the people when he shouldn't have. There were... So what do you mean a heart of integrity, of one who followed after God fully? Yeah, no. See, it's not about being perfect. But it's a heart that when he saw his sin, he owned it, he confessed, he repented, he turned back. It was the integrity of seeing when he had done wrong and manning that up before the Lord and turning from his sin and confessing it. Man after God's own heart. The next thing that we see is that he's prepared for service. So the really cool piece of this is that as a young boy and as a young teenager, God is preparing him to be king by watching sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but watching sheep, becoming king, I don't, I don't know how that corollary happens. But that's what we're told about David is that David was prepared through this time of watching the sheep. And when you stop and you think about the tools that God would have used, really some of the same tools that he uses today. The first is this idea of obscurity. Obscurity. I mean, I've never watched sheep. I have been to Bethlehem. If you've ever been there, or maybe you're going to go with us next March, it's kind of fun. I mean, Bethlehem has grown, but you go out into the kind of the outer pieces of that town now, and you see the Judean wilderness, and it's kind of barren, and you're just out there. You're out there all by yourself. And in that obscurity where nobody knows you, nobody really seems to care, but you're doing what you've been asked to do. You've been doing what you've been called to do. And you're doing it faithfully. 
I mean, you, you kind of think of the words of Jesus. He who is faithful in little will be faithful in much, right? The obscurity. Charles Swindoll said this. Those who accept the silence of obscurity are the best qualified to handle the applause of popularity. You know, as one who's grown up in, uh, around the church, you know, over the years I've seen a lot of young, young guys come onto the scene nationally and in, in evangelical churches. And man, it's like the, the, their personality, their ministries take off like rockets. Unfortunately, many, many times you see them land just as quickly as rocks falling from the sky. And the problem is, is that they didn't seem to go through that point of obscurity where God was able to take and to, to, to teach them, to purify their motives. So a week and a half ago, uh, I took our staff uh, on a, a little outing. I took them back to where I started at least 24 and a half years ago with Desert Springs back in Glendale and our, our little church there. You know, that little auditorium that seated about 150 and the little paved parking that had 50 parking spots. And I got I to gotta be honest with you, it brought back a lot of emotions. Not all good, <laughs> uh, but a lot of emotion and God's faithfulness. But, you know, I think back on that time when, when it just, man, there were just a handful of us that, that were beginning. And all the things that God taught through that and the humbling and the, again the purifying of motives but God you might just sense like today you're in that place of obscurity as you serve the Lord maybe it's just teaching that little Sunday school class and, and it's like nobody knows and, but how is God going to use this be faithful where God has you because he who is faithful in a very little thing be faithful a month God uses obscurity to prepare us for what he has he uses monotony Again, I, I've, I've never watched sheep, but I don't think it's probably all that exciting. Probably the same thing pretty much every day. You get up and you, you open the pen and bring the sheep out. But as you, they come, you're, you're checking, you're counting, make sure you got them all. You're making sure there's none that's got infection because infection could spread pretty quick amongst the sheep. And then once you got them all accounted for and they're all good, then you, you lead them out. And now you got to find them grass. And then you got to find them water. And you sit and you watch them. And at night you bring them in and you get them all back in and you... You, you close the gate, and, and guess what? You get up and do it the next day, and then you get up and do it the next day, and you just kind of do it over and over and over again. But it's in those moments that the little things become important. The idea of faithfulness is born in your heart. Because guess what? If you don't check the sheep and infection grows, it doesn't just take out one, it takes out more. If you lose the sheep here and lose the sheep there, pretty soon you don't have much of a flock left. Those things become important, the monotony of the moment. And then you see difficulty, because even for a shepherd in the monotony of the day, every once in a while, difficulty shows up. For David, it was in the form of a bear, in the form of a lion grabbing a sheep you go from pure boredom to pure excitement really quickly in those moments and David talks about how God had helped him as he took on the bear and he helped him as he took on the lion and he killed the lion and he saved his sheep and here's the thing folk what God does through the times of difficulties he's preparing you for what's coming on 
You see, when David took on the bear and David took on the lion, I don't think David had any clue about Goliath. But when he shows up for Goliath, he remembers the lion and the bear and that, you know what, God will see me through this. I think back to 1997, you know, we were just two years in. I've told this story so many times that, you know, we, we got behind as a church and the church that was helping us, they were supporting us. We're going to start cutting back their support at the end of the year, which they needed to do. And we were $15,000 in the red and we prayed and we prayed and prayed and we just knew that if, the, you know, we couldn't get in the black, that it was just God's way of saying, hey, this has been great, but it's time to shut down the church. And we hit December 29th, right? I've told you this story. We're $10,000 in the red. And yet in those last 48 hours, God brought in $10,000, the last 48 hours of the year, so that we ended in the black. $34 in the black, by the way. It's a great story, much funner to tell than it was to live, by the way. But we had no idea what would happen in 2007 when we were, what, half mile down the road here and this building became available. We were already out of space there and got a screaming deal on this building and, yeah, man, things were going so good and we bought this building and we're going to sell that and we're going to make money on that to help pay down this debt and then of course we so we we got this and in the midst of that transition 2008 hit you all remember 2008 ouch and for seven years we were stuck actually with two buildings and two mortgage payments and it's really funny because back in 97 it was ten thousand dollars of debt i can't tell you how many millions of dollars it was with two buildings but I can tell you this, that I actually probably did a whole lot better in 2008, 9, and 10 as we walked through that because of 1997. Because I'd seen God's faithfulness, and I knew, I knew what God had led us to do. I knew he'd see us through. Folk, I don't know what difficulty you might be facing today. And I don't know what it is down the road that God might be preparing your heart for. But understand that we know that as believers that everything that comes into our life that God can use to prepare us for what's coming down. He knows tomorrow we don't. It's part of how he prepares us. I got to hurry. The fourth thing is solitude. Solitude. I mean, he's out there with the sheep. It's, it's just David and the sheep. And it's amazing that in the solitude, that's where he, he really gets to meet the Lord. And you read it in the Psalms, and you read it, he talks about the handiwork of God and, and the character of God that's seen in nature. And you and I today live in a culture that hates solitude. We have to have noise. We have to have social media. We have to have the TV on. We have to have music on. We just, we can't stand just to be alone with our thoughts and thinking and meditating upon God. But it's in the solitude that God teaches them about who he is and his faithfulness. The solitude of that still small voice of a relationship with his God that is going to see him through the ups and downs of being a king. I love what David says in Psalm 4.4. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. And God prepares him to be the king. Then he anoints him. I love verse 13. 
Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David mightily on that day forward. You see, David had a, had a heart after God. He wasn't perfect, but he had a heart that sought after the Lord. He had a heart of integrity. He had a heart that was humble. And yet God himself knew even that with all the preparation, he still needed more. And so he gave him his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to go with him. And the Holy Spirit is going to be with him when he takes on Goliath. And the Holy Spirit is going to give him wisdom when he's got the opportunity to kill Saul. And said, no, 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 just wait. The Holy Spirit is going to be there with him. And the beauty is, folks, that you and I have all not only been chosen for service, not only been prepared and are being prepared today, but you've also been anointed. If you know Jesus... You have been anointed. You have been given the Holy Spirit to prepare for ministry. I love what First or Second Corinthians chapter 1 says. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. Who also sealed us and gave us a spirit in our hearts as a pledge. We have the Holy Spirit. So you have been called. You have been called to be an ambassador. You have been prepared. You now have been anointed and been given the Holy Spirit that you can live Jesus and share Jesus. You're just like David. The Holy Spirit is with you to give you wisdom about the things to say. He's there to give you the the spirit of boldness and those moments to share. Those moments maybe to pull back and to be silent. Of how do you live this out in front of your lives? I love what Acts 1.8 says. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Folk, if you know Jesus today. If you've come to accept him as your savior, can I just tell you, you've been chosen. God has ordained you to be his ambassador. Second Corinthians. He has called you to that. He's prepared you. He is in the process of preparing you for even things that lead down the, the line further. And not only that, he knows you're, you're not perfect. He knows you don't have it all put together. But he's given you his Holy Spirit to empower you. So, folks, here's the thing. As one who is chosen, prepared, and anointed, live and share Jesus in the power of the Spirit. And whatever peace you're going through today, if it's obscurity or if it's in the midst of popularity, if it's in monotony or if you're in one of those really exciting points at your life because the bears and the lions are at the door, if it's a matter of, of a time of blessing or a time of difficulty, or if it is a matter of solitude or craziness, it doesn't matter. Serve Jesus. Follow Jesus. Live Jesus. Share Jesus. He's chosen you. He has prepared you. And he is with you to do that.